1: Facebook marked its 15th birthday, and founder Mark Zuckerberg wrote a post in which he was optimistic about the positive role the social media site has played in the world. Our next guest might disagree with that. Douglas Rushkoff is a professor of media theory and digital economics at City University of New York, Queens, and he says the internet is one of the factors that has served to divide us into increasingly atomized and radicalized groups. Rushkoff says there is a better way for us to become social beings of Again, he explains how in his new book titled Team Human. In it, he looks at research on human evolution, biology, and psychology to show that when we work together, we can not only find happiness, peace, and productivity, but we can make the world a better place to live. Rushkoff is also founder of the Laboratory for Digital Humanism, and he hosts a weekly podcast titled Team Human. And it's a pleasure to have him joining us on the show right now. Douglas, welcome. Thank you for your time today. Hey, great to be with you thank you it, it, it so let me take it from this perspective with all of this divisiveness that's going on right now technology plays a role in this but i don't necessarily believe that technology is the only reason for this uh, you know maybe the technology made it easier for a lot of this to to come to the forefront do you agree with that yeah i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't blame technology really for almost anything
0: i mean yeah i would agree that there are Different media environments. And, you know, different media environments are biased towards different kinds of attitudes and behaviors. So the television media environment was very globalist. You know, we were watching a moon landing or the Olympics. The whole world was watching all of these things together. And you know, the height of the TV era might be, you know, uh, uh, Ronald Reagan going in front of uh, the Brandenburg Gate and saying, "Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall." Right. And the digital media environment's definitely more divisive. Everything's a yes/no here, there. You know, our 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 social media algorithms, you know, divide us into uh, ever more granular. Differences, and so we do have a president saying, "Let's build a wall." You know, let's us and them, and and that's uh, you could you could argue that those are sort of characteristic of the media environments, but it's not the technology doing it. It's in the in this case, it's. What are we using the technology for? You know, And yeah. we're no longer using technology as a tool for humans, but as a way of playing and manipulating humans.
1: So what do you think has driven that specific element of it? Because if you look at something like Cambridge Analytica, and obviously that is, has been a, a big story in the last several months and, and its impact. Obviously, Facebook being concerned uh, about uh, about bots and, and all of the things that are posted, especially around uh, the times of a political election. What has been the drive? I mean, has it just been kind of the nature of some people to, to try and do wrong? No, I think it's more the business plans of the platforms themselves. You know, Facebook
0: didn't have to become this sort of nest of manipulative algorithms. It's because Facebook wasn't allowed to just be a successful multi-billion dollar company. They had to show 100x or 1,000x return to investors who had already put in too much. So Mark Zuckerberg couldn't stay You know, Twitter couldn't stay as a $2 billion revenue a year company, uh, which is as much as you should expect to be able to make off 140 character messaging. Sure. Yeah. But they needed to grow. So because they needed to grow, they needed to find new new ways of extracting value from their users. And that's when it became obnoxious. And the players that you're talking about, whether it's Cambridge Analytica or Russian hackers, they're not hacking the technology. They're really just hacking the business plans of these platforms.
1: We're joined by Douglas Rushkoff, who is the author of the book Team Human. Uh, your comments are welcome at eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six, or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at bizradio one thirty two or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney E Y twenty one. So then, uh, the, 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 I think the next logical question is, how do we start to, to to change this to start to turn things around?
0: I mean, I guess it depends on you know what what. Aspect of it we want to change around. I mean, part of it is speaking to the people who are uh, designing in these companies already, and and helping them uh, sort of see the the ethical quandary of porting the the algorithms from Las Vegas slot machines to people's news feeds on. <laughs> platform. You know, Why might not that be okay? Uh, It's a little bit of that, a little bit of going to developers now and showing them that if they take less money at a lower valuation, that they can actually retain more control of their company rather than less and not be forced to pivot away from whatever it is that they had originally intended to do. And I think users have to be aware that almost any platform they go on to, is a drug. You know, you're on Facebook or on Twitter or on uh, uh, even on email. Yeah. And it, it, when you go online, it should be an intentional thing that you actually go and actively do, not just a state of constant being. And you'll have much more resilience in any of those
1: spaces. It, it is amazing to me, though, when you think about how we communicate these days, how much that has changed. And I'm, I'm 52. And, and how much it has changed in my lifetime from going from uh, you know, having to actually physically mail a letter to somebody to now not even having to do that where you can send an email or you can send a text, a- and then the communication on the phone and how that has changed over the last uh, couple of decades as well. A- and those factors alone are, are kind of playing on the outside of this as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, and you think about... I mean, uh, uh, and this is not
0: to be nostalgic for analog media because it had a lot of problems too, but yeah. I mean, you and you and I were kids, you could, you would call a girl on the phone yeah. through an analog wired phone yeah. and have an intimate long conversation. And yeah. it was, uh, boy, it was something. Once we moved, you know, all telephony over to digital, we can kind of barely hear each other and bark these commands and text and all. So we have so many more communications channels, but they're not uh, uh, promoting the kind of intimacy, the kind of rapport that we had before. Or even, I mean, gosh, uh, I remember the only time you'd be interrupted for anything was like if you're on the phone with somebody and the operator came in and interrupted it was because like yeah. grandma was dying right yeah, i remember, <laughs> remember that too yeah and now then it was called <laughs> waiting and now it's just we live in a state of perpetual emergency interruption that used to be endured only by 911 operators or air traffic controllers yeah. you know and we pay for the privilege of this you know constant state of disconnection and reconnection which really prevents us from and i don't mean to sound you know even you know communist about this but it prevents us from forging solidarity with other people from seeing ourselves as a collective and it engenders a suspicion and a paranoia when we do encounter people online
1: do you think there's a there's enough of a will with within a lot of these technology and social media companies to want to to make this type of change because to a degree this does not probably fit their algorithms. It does not fit their profit uh, formulas uh, moving forward, especially when you know when you're talking about Facebooks and, and and Twitters and and other social media platforms that are really worried about the bottom line right now.
0: Well, I mean, they're they're worried about uh, they are worried about us leaving. I mean, unlike Google true. or Amazon, yeah. Facebook doesn't really have a, a real proprietary technology. You know, they're not developing AI or or you know speech recognition stuff. These 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 true high technologies. They are they are there, but for our choice uh, uh, to be there. So I do see them, you know, they're adopting some of the tenets of what's now called humane technology, you know, where they're trying to be nicer to the humans who are using it. But, I mean, that seems like a really small step. You know, when I hear humane technology, I think of, you know, cage-free chickens being treated humanely on the way to slaughter. Right. I, I want to reverse the whole, uh, our whole orientation to technology. So it's so much less about what are technologies doing to people and what are people doing with Technology, but, and I, I do think there will be alternative social networks that will come up and be so much lighter on their feet that people may be attracted to them.
1: But you also uh, take a look at this from a, from a historical perspective as well. Uh, the, the, the this issue of communication and and the. Uh, the fight that it kind of lays off, because if you go back way back in time, uh, the the haves and the have nots, the haves always had seemingly a better way to be able to communicate back and forth than the have nots. Correct? Yeah, I mean I feel like uh, uh you know kind of the masses or whatever the public whatever
0: we are are almost always one step behind the uh, the elites in 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 our use of media. So even uh you know we got we got text and we thought that that would mean that you know everyone could kind of read Bible and Torah themselves and they didn't. You know people gathered in the square and the elites could read and write, you know, the Bible stories and the the masses gathered in the town square. We get the Printing press and it didn't give people the ability to publish their ideas. The, the presses were strictly controlled. People then got the ability to read, and the elites could publish. And now we get the internet, and you would think people would be developing platforms, but they're not. All people are really doing online is publishing. So we got the competency and the capability of the printing press era, and a new generation of elites—whether it's Zuckerberg or or Sergey or whoever is running these companies—they um, are. Are, are programming the platforms that really dictate the kind of writing that we do and whether it gets seen.
1: Douglas Rushkoff is uh, the author of the book Team Human. Uh, he is also a professor of media theory and digital economics at City University of New York, Queens. Your comments are welcome at 844 Wharton 844 Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. What, what's interesting about this book, when people pick it up, is that the, these are basically, it's it's 100 kind of ideas that, that, that kind of move us along in the process of this story. And, and I wanted to touch on a couple of them, if, if I could, Doug. And, okay. and and the first one that I, I saw, people used to believe in circles. Then they became, then they came to believe in lines, Explain that a little bit more, if you wouldn't mind.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a, a it's a pretty in depth one there, but but the main idea there is that the sort of the pre but before print, you know, before text and and before the Judeo Christian understanding of time and salvation and history and the future, um, the indigenous people kind of had had more circular understandings of. Of their world. All of the, the pre-Judaic uh, religions, they all had reincarnation, you know, which was a circle. So you, you couldn't really do something awful to someone in this life because you're gonna see them again in the next life. So it had a, uh, it was kind of a conservationist uh, k- uh, karmic principle to everything. You didn't want to screw something up or waste anything because it had a soul of some kind and it would, it would uh, 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 demand uh, uh, Compensation at some point um, in the future, and the, the other thing that, that they had was um, the the idea that they really there was nothing new under the sun. That anything that a human being was doing was really just kind of recapitulating some action of some god of some uh, other entity. That that you know when you make a baby, you're not you're not really making a baby. You're right. you're or doing something new. You're just part of the larger fertility cycle. And when once we got the Judeo-Christian line, which was beautiful for so many reasons, we had texts so we could kind of write this contract with God. If we do this, then he'll do that. We could write our our past, our present, and we could write contracts into the future. So we got this notion of linear time. And the great thing about it is we we became about progress. We wanted to make the world better next year than it was last year. But the problem with it is it it ended up engendering this uh, understanding of the world that we can just kind of go forward and lay waste to what's behind us, you know, clear cut the forest because you never look back. You know, like just keep your eyes on the prize, keep looking forward, and it's it's led us to uh, to treat the world sort of the way we do under under modern corporate capitalism, where we just externalize the harm to someone else, somewhere else, or we'll deal with it some other time. This kind of way of moving through the world where there's an exhaust pipe behind us spewing out something, but we're just keeping our eyes forward so we don't have to really think about what's back there. And I think we're finally at a place now where we realize, oh, this is kind of a contained world here. Our atmosphere is pretty is pretty small, and you can't just externalize, because those people are are part of your world, and those places are part of your world.
1: And, and you're saying in the book that that now is the time to do this. Uh, and, and and I note that in part, you you say in the book, it's time we reassert the human agenda, and we must do uh, we must do so together, not as the individual players we've been led to imagine ourselves to be, but as the team we actually are, team human.
0: Yeah, I mean. It's funny because I came up with the, the, the little teen human phrase, cause I, and I was having an argument with one of the Singularity guys, and it was on a big public panel, and he was saying that human beings should just pass the evolutionary torch to computers, that they're almost smarter than us, and the day that they are, we should accept our own extinction and let the computers keep going. Climate change doesn't really matter because we're not going to need the climate much longer. You know yeah. We can go. And um, I made this passionate argument for humans. I said, "Oh no, people matter. We're weird. We can embrace ambiguity, and we do art, and we can understand what's going on. We, we're conscious, and uh, and we deserve a place in the digital future." And he said, uh, "Oh, Rushkoff, you're just saying that because you're human, you know, <laughs> as if it was as if it was hubris." <laughs> and that's when I said, "All right, fine. I'm on team human." And then, as I used the term, I I came to see that part of our problem is that we've We've, we've accepted this very uh, distorted understanding of evolution as uh, a competition between individuals for survival. And if you read your Darwin, it's not that at all. It's really uh, – it's how well can species collaborate either amongst themselves or with other species in order to ensure you know mutual – uh, prosperity and mutual flourishing, and once we understand things that way, we can say, oh wow, you know, human beings really do better when we work together, and the technologies that we've developed do better by dividing us from one another. Then, you know, if the, <laughs> and that's that's an essential problem.
1: Then are 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 you optimistic right now, as as we talk here in 2019, about the future where these areas of concern might be? And I ask that because of how millennials and Gen Z seemingly want to change a lot of the of the kind of historical trends that we see in our culture.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I have to be optimistic. I have a daughter, you know, and I I have to believe that people will get you know uh, nauseous enough and fed up enough with being turned against one another in these digital spaces to. Turn towards each other in in real spaces. You know, every every you know. I, I talk to my students at at, at CUNY, and I, I tell them you know just try taking ten minutes a week where you're <laughs> disconnected from this, and take ten minutes to be with another person. Right. And you know, once they taste that, and once we start to taste that, uh, I, I feel like people want to reclaim the world. I think we understand that in the real world, human beings have the home field advantage. And when we're out on the Internet, you know, look, we don't. You know, there are these non-player characters in this giant video game of reality TV and reality Internet. And they're not real. They're just algorithms or bots and they don't have our best interests at heart. And they they make us look at a picture of a kid with a MAGA hat looking at a Native American and and all of my well meaning leftist progressive friends all tweeted their angry things. Look how horrible this is, right. not knowing what they were even talking about. And I think that once people get burned like that enough, they start to get ashamed enough and, and they realize just kind of how silly they're being. And yeah, and, and I do think we'll turn off it and, and, and face our, our collective challenges.
1: The book is Team Human by Douglas Rushkoff. Your comments are welcome at 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You know, the, the, the end of the book is, I mean, it's about as straightforward and simple as you can possibly get. And all it is is just literally a couple of words. And the end of it is, find the others. Mm-hmm. Take, us into, yeah. take us into that for a second.
0: I mean, it's interesting. I, got, I actually got the quote, Find the Others was a, a, a Timothy Leary quote, you know, the famous uh, 1960s uh, psychedelics yeah. guru from yeah. Harvard. And um, a, a girl attended, a, a young lady, I guess, attended one of his uh, uh, lectures, a, a college student. And uh, she said, Oh, I've had the psychedelic experience and I've seen how the, all the world is one. Now what do I do? And he said, Find the others. You know, meaning find the others who've had that experience or who are in your tribe. And I'm arguing that, yeah, find the others who get this, who want to be human. But then more importantly, find the others. You know, find the ones you don't agree with. Find the people who you see as other and and learn to, you know, learn to see the humanity in them. Understand why they have the posture they do. Understand the fear that might be driving their their worldview and and try to try to engage with them. That this is. You know, this is a moment to actually, you know, find and, and uh, forge connection and solidarity with other real human beings. And that um, it changes your physiology. You know, you, you, you engage with another person and you see their pupils getting larger and yours get larger and your, yeah. your, your mirror neurons fire and oxytocin goes through your blood and you're, you're, you're healthier and more open and more resilient and communicate better um, and you feel better. And uh, I feel like if if people can re-socialize, it's really television that kind of first disconnected us and then the Internet that did it even more. Um, If people can re-socialize in real spaces, um, then they stand a chance of, of, you know, revitalizing their local reality and then um, um, scaling that up.
1: How do you think then then this has... Impacted, and I'll use the United States just to, for this example. How do you think this has impacted our culture? And, and to a degree, I would think maybe it's also impacted our economy as well. How we, you know, how we approach our, our business, and obviously, there's a lot of conversation about the one percent versus the ninety-nine percent these days.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the internet in some ways has made so many things generic that people feel like if they don't have a zillion followers, if they're not a national brand, then they don't exist. You know, everyone thinks they have to scale up. And even, you know, my students, when they graduate from the media program and they're trying to get jobs at at various companies doing media or social media, they get asked in their first interview, how many followers do you have? You know, so even the kids are being hired for their social media audiences rather than, than their skills. I think that's uh, – it's affected us that way it's it's affected us thinking that our businesses have to scale tremendously that they have to keep growing just right. like facebook and google do in order in order to survive and that's um it's really not fair you know <laughs> not every business should have to keep growing in order to be sustainable
1: who ends up being the leaders of, of this turnaround and obviously part of that is are us human beings but but who really is, is the leaders that, that are going to hopefully start to, to, to turn things around here?
0: Well, interestingly, I think, you know, I, I do when I'm being optimistic, I say that we're living in a renaissance, you know, which is a, right. a rebirth of old ideas in a new context. And when, when whenever you go through a renaissance, you have to look at the last renaissance and realize that things are going to shift back from from that renaissance to what was before it. And you know the last big renaissance was the shift from the city state to the nation state, from these sort of local community bottom up driven uh, 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 marketplaces to these kind of abstract national ones with these national boundaries that we know aren't real, that they were always supported by mythologies and monarchies more than any real connection between the people and the supposed country. I mean that's why we have to put up walls now to redefine, yes, we have a line, we have a nation. Um, so I think the leadership. Is going to come from cities and towns. I I feel like even when you look at an issue like climate change, you see that cities are are really leading the way into um, uh, uh, strategies and remediation better than nation states can because cities can just do things. You know, they don't have to go to some big international meeting and create a uh, you know a document that everyone signs on to and special goals. It's just like, no. How are we going to deal with the water? How are we going to stop polluting? How are we going to do this? And they just um, implement it as a giant community. So I feel right. like it's going to come, going to come from there.
1: Doug, thanks very much for your time today. Greatly appreciated. Uh, oh, and, thank and, you. And all the best with the book.
0: Well, thanks, and thanks, thanks for giving a platform to this. And especially, it's terrific.
1: Thanks, Doug. All the best. Team Human is the book. It is available in bookstores and online right now. Douglas Oreshkoff joining us, uh, professor of media theory and digital economics at uh, City University of New York, Queens, joining us here on the show.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.